Well, as we, we begin our afternoon session here, I want to welcome everyone here again, especially those of you joining us online. Um, apparently, we had upwards of 200 people joining us by the end of the morning, so the people out west are waking up, <laughs> and uh, uh, but we're glad that all of you are, are with us. We are also going to post the uh, final recordings, so uh, if you could not stay for the, everything here today. I know some people had to go, um, and same, if you've been online, you haven't been able to do everything. Uh, we will have those available. Um, I don't know if we'll have them available today, but certainly in the next couple of days, we'll have those available for you. Um, as we transition to uh, what we're doing here this afternoon, uh, I thought it might be helpful to say a few words about what John Harris uh, likely would have said if he would have been here. Um, you may be familiar with two of his books. Uh, he's written two. They're on the back table there. Um, and basically what he has done is he has traced how the um, critical theories have infiltrated the church, in particular the evangelical church. This isn't just happened overnight. Um, it Basically, you'd look to the late 60s and early 70s, where you had uh, some key people who grew up in the church, uh, typically conservative churches of some kind, fundamentalist churches. They went to college, were exposed to some of this Marxist thought, and maybe left the church for a time, but then came back to the church. But instead of then returning to biblical ideas, they started bringing this socialist Marxist, as Scott Allen said, Marxism 2.0. They started bringing that into the church and started mixing together, syncretizing, we would say. And again, this didn't just happen overnight. We could say the same thing just broadly in society. Uh, the revolutionaries of the 60s and 70s tried to basically take over by force. Right? You think of Bill Ayers and the Weather Underground and some of these things. They tried to blow everything up and, and enforce this revolutionary thought on our society, and it wasn't ready yet. And so they, they, they stepped back, and they put on their, their uh, ties and jackets and went into the academia and started teaching it, and, and now we are where we are in that sense. And the same can be said for the church. Uh, we have come to a point now that John MacArthur says the evangelical church is dead, which is a very strong statement. Vody Bauckham, uh, his subtitle on his book, he says about the looming catastrophe of the evangelical church. And John Harris has done a very nice job of showing some of the key players of bringing this thought into the evangelical church. I mentioned before that my, my son Nathaniel's at Wheaton College. Well, one of the key players was at Wheaton. And, and my son has been experiencing that. He's been told in chapel he needs to repent of his whiteness. And he's going to classes and, they, and they're talking about these things, not just so that we're aware, but actually promoting it. Um, this isn't just kind of out there. This isn't just a, how should you say, it's affecting some churches and not others. 
You know, in, uh, in, in our circles of conservative churches, theologically, we, we've gotten to the habit, well, the liberal churches do that. Hey, the mainline churches do that, or whatever. But it's right here with us. I'm part of the PCA, and it's, it's infiltrating the PCA, too. It isn't just out there. And, and uh, I wish John could have been here to, to show us that in detail. I can't do that. Uh, he's, you know, <laughs> hundreds of footnotes in his book. Shows you this, quotes them. And so I encourage you to read them, uh, to, to see this. This isn't, um, again, just a small thing. Um, and so <clears throat> I, I, I'm doing terrible justice to John, <laughs> but just trying to address briefly uh, some of the things that he would have said if he were, were here. And um, uh, we're, we as an American church are, you might say, on the precipice of, of either surviving as a faithful church or just totally falling apart. Now, God will preserve his people. We just sang about the elect from every nation. But that doesn't mean the church that we have known in America for the last few centuries will be the same. And that's a, a sobering thought. That's why we're here. <laughs> we want to help you to understand these things more, to help be part of that preservation work of the truth and then evangelical work as we spread the truth into a society that now is, is so confused and uh, beginning to see the emptiness of, of uh, this Marxist teaching. So uh, a few thoughts in that way as uh, we begin this, this se- session here. The idea is where do we go from here? Well, in my view... Uh, where do we go from here? We can't go forward unless we understand where we've been and where we are. And so, as Scott Allen did, especially where we've been, and I did a little bit of that, John Harris in his books really helps to bring out the, the details of where we are as a church uh, here in America. And, uh, um, and, and so we wanted to um, now talk a little bit about where do we go forward? How do we go forward? And uh, we were just talking, you know, how do we want to do this? There are different things that can be done. And uh, maybe uh, I'll just continue with what I'm uh, talking about now. And um, um, we'll get this going. And um, let's make sure it's going right here. And I, I, I think it would be helpful for us to, um, to see... Some of these distinctions. How do we go forward? Well, we need to understand very clearly the, um, these two worldviews. And I, I think putting them side by side will be helpful for us. As that warms up, hopefully it will be a little bit clearer for you um, and brighter and so on. And uh, Scott Allen touched on some of this in his uh, talk to us here a little bit ago. And I'm going to say some of the same things, but also maybe presented a little bit differently. And I, I, uh, I think both approaches are going to be helpful for us. Um, so the question here is, how do we, as a church, respond to the critical theories and critical race theory 
And, um, and so hence this title, CRT and the Church. All right. Well, let's go through some of our major categories and side by side see the difference. What is the view of God? Well, in the critical theory approach, hey, as Scott said a little bit ago, um, this comes from a Marxist atheistic foundation. Secular humanism, we may call it. Now, there are some who aren't hardcore atheists. They may say they're agnostics or may believe in some kind of pantheism, right, the force or whatever, uh, or deism, where God, they believe in God, but he's just out there and has nothing to do with us. Um, that is the foundation of the critical thought. This is their view of God. Either he doesn't exist or he, he's irrelevant, you might say. But the scripture, and, and you may have noticed Scott said this uh, a few different times, that the message of the scripture is very simple. And that's true here as well. The Bible says that God not only exists, but he relates to us. We call this theism. Right? God is, is uh, a, a part of his creation in the sense that he relates to us, not in a pantheistic or panentheistic way, but he relates to us. And of course, uh, he has come to be with us in Christ. So the next one is our authority. Again, Scott made some mention of this. Uh, the individual mind or the individual self is the authority in the critical viewpoint. Okay? Or to put it another way, the final authority is the victim, the oppressed. The oppressor has no authority to speak or, or act or anything in their viewpoint. Okay, now note the, the total contrast here. Scripture says God is our authority. God's word is our authority. Okay, next, our metaphysics. And there's clearly some overlap in some of these, but in the critical theory, obviously, their viewpoint is based on evolution. Okay, and we, especially if you're woke, you are highly evolved. Okay, you have gone to the next level, if you will, in this evolutionary process. <clears throat> Another way of looking at it, though, <clears throat> is that intersectionality provides the basis of our metaphysic. What is my being? What is the essence of who I am? Well, how many oppressed groups I'm a part of is the foundation of my being. That's their viewpoint. Whereas the scripture, again, very different. Our metaphysic, God created all things. There is this fundamental distinction between the creator and the, the creature. We are made in the image of God, and there is one race. In Owen Strachan's book, uh, Wokeness in the Church, or Wokeness in Christianity, I forget the exact title, he says repeatedly that there really is no such thing as racism. And that's because there's one race. Okay? In fact, if you, if you look at it from a biological perspective, the differences between Pastor Jesse and his wife and the whitest of us here, okay, or Matthew in the back with his, his coloration and such, and me, you know, I'm, I've got Swedish and Scottish blood in me. I'm about as white as you can get in some ways. But the differences are about 1%. 
is very, very small. When you include melanin and you know, various things about how we are made, whether the way our nose is or our ears or you know, stuff like that, it's, it's very, very minuscule. And so really what we have are multiple ethnicities with one race or a variation on the theme, if you will. We're all a variation of a brown color. Some are darker brown, some are lighter brown. And so this is our metaphysic. This is our being, right? And uh, Ken Ham has done some very good work on that and making that uh, clear and, and understandable. Um, all right, now epistemology, right? How do we know anything? How do we know what we know? Well, in the critical uh, viewpoint, standpoint epistemology is, is the basis. How do we know anything? Well, because it's my experience. That's how I know. Which, you know, I don't know how you find any comfort in that, but that's where they go from uh, and go toward. But in the scripture, how do we know anything? Well, God has given us his word, and he has made us with the ability to know. You know, people write all kinds of books about epistemology, but it's really simple. We're made in God's image. He made us with the ability to know him and to know truth and so forth. Now, ethics. Let me speak of this in a broad category first. In the critical theory, the, the most important ethical thing that you can do is deconstruct everything. Okay. Now, notice how this works itself out. If you are part of the woke crowd if you're part of the oppressed you are good doesn't matter what you do or don't do you are automatically good you're ethically good if you are part of this group but if you're part of the non-woke or the oppressor then you are automatically evil so if you're white if you're part of the western culture if you're heterosexual christian or they like the term capitalism rather than free market uh, but if you're part of all that, then you are just automatically evil. Nalene, was it last night? I think we were talking um, just how um, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how some people make such a big deal about uh, standing up for these things. And, and my response to her was this right here. Why are people wanting to cancel our little conference? I mean, what's the point? We're a few people here, a few hundred people even, when you include online. Why, why do they insist on fighting against it? Why, why is it that you go into a restaurant and somebody stands up and makes a scene because they're trying to cancel you in some way? Well, it's because that's part of their ethical system. To be good is to cancel somebody. To be good is to push back against the oppressor. And so it's, it's a religion, really. And so if you see on TV or, you know, whatever about someone going into a restaurant and, and uh, canceling somebody else, uh, they, they see that as virtuous. Whereas the scriptural view is simply, be holy as I am holy. That is our basic ethic. We are to be like God. Again, you see how simple it is. <laughs> All right, now let me kind of go subdivide that, you might say, to some degree. Um, and that is their view of sin. 
Similar to what I just said, the oppressor always sins, the oppressed never sin. This is why people are um, not going to jail. Hey, you're, you're part of the, uh, the Bay Area. Around here, we hear about it, especially in New York City or Philadelphia or something like that. Somebody does something awful and deserves to be in prison. Oh, you're part of the oppressed, so they let you go. But if you're part of the oppressor, oh, man, they, they stick it to you. Every detail of the law must be upheld if you're part of the oppressor group. Because you always sin, and the other does not. Um, and then I subdivided here a little bit for you. You see the CRT, the sin is whiteness and gender. It's heterosexuality and postcolonialism. You see the things there, the West and so forth. Whereas scripture, sin is disobedience to God's law. It's that simple. And we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Salvation. How are you saved in this uh, neo-Marxist uh, worldview. Well, you are saved by joining in the revolution, by deconstructing, by being woke, by becoming an anti-racist. Now, let's make sure we understand that. That's not to say you do not do racist things. To be an anti-racist is to basically completely jettison anything that is considered to be part of the oppressor and any whiteness or whatever it is. Okay. For gender, transgenderism is, is our salvation. You may not choose not to participate in a transgender lifestyle, but you need to accept it. Post-colonialism, okay, you need to become a neo-Marxist. You need to be for the global reset, those kind of things. Whereas in scripture, of course, salvation is believing in Jesus, looking to the cross, what he has done, obeying for us perfectly, dying and atoning death for our sins, rising again on the third day. Another related point here is forgiveness. In the critical theory viewpoint, perpetual repentance for the oppressor is all that you can do, and you will never find forgiveness. This is why um, when you hear people get caving into the woke culture and they start apologizing, they never can do enough. Hey, right now, one of the big stories is the owner of the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, right? And he was caught um, saying things that were not necessarily good, okay, and he was disciplined by being banned for a year. And uh, LeBron James and some of these other players say, oh, that's not enough. He didn't repent enough. And so now, because he started, the owner started down the path of apologizing, now he's going to sell both of the teams. And that's not going to be enough either. Okay. So that's just one example. Um, you can never do enough to find forgiveness. But if you're part of the oppressed, you don't need forgiveness. You're already good. There's nothing to repent of. As for the critical race theory view, especially white people can never be forgiven. 
And that includes Pastor Jesse, who is white, (laughs) from their viewpoint. He's an Uncle Tom, and he can never be forgiven. I suppose you do have the option, if you you actually jettison all your whiteness and become truly black, then they might forgive you. But, um, But as a white person for myself, I can never be forgiven in the critical view, critical race theory position. Even if I become an anti-racist, I can't be forgiven. There's no hope there at all. But forgiveness in scripture is looking to Christ. He has died for my sins. Now we, of course, need to forgive one another too. Whatever color someone may be. All right, now for the issue of righteousness, and uh, uh, the term social justice is often the term that we see in this context. Um, If you're going to be righteous, you have to obey the ever-changing standards of wokeness. You must raise up the oppressed, you must destroy the oppressor, you must cancel the non-woke. As I was saying a little bit ago, this is what is good from their viewpoint. So uh, we had people um, uh, saying that we were racist because we were having this conference. We we had people that were influencing the other churches not to hold the conference there and, and, and so forth. Well, they see that as righteousness. You know, we look at it and we're like, what's the point? You know, this is foolishness. But they see it as righteousness. Whereas in the scriptures... Obviously, obeying God's word is righteous, emulating Christ, living lives worthy of the gospel, loving God, loving our neighbor, upholding justice uh, and blind justice and so on. These are some of the things that we talk about. And um, I think it was Pastor Jesse said, if I remember correctly, in his talk, the fruit of the critical theory is destruction. There is no benefit in this position because even the oppressor, excuse me, the oppressed is eventually going to become the oppressor and it's just a cycle, right? (laughs) And so it's always going to be this perpetual battle, the issue of power, as Scott Allen had said before. And so it leads to division and hatred, suspicion and lies, propaganda, leads to death. Hey, Scott had on one of his slides earlier some of the pictures of these men. I included Margaret Sanger here in this and the eugenics movement. Are are you familiar with the number of abortions that happen worldwide every year? Do you know what the number is? Anybody venture a guess? Now, those of you who've heard me say it, don't answer. (laughs) Anybody know how many abortions worldwide every year take place? So we want to guess? about 73 million every year and that's the average for the last five years it is an amazing statistic but that is the fruit of Margaret Sanger who wanted to eliminate the black race through abortion that's the whole point of abortion to eliminate the black race but it's now expanded for population control in a broader sense So what's it lead to? It leads to hell on earth and forever, of course. Um, 
though they wouldn't see it that way. <laughs> um, the scripture, what is the fruit of the scripture? Salvation for God's people, we are saved by grace. Pastor Jesse was elaborating on that. It's not because we're good enough, but it's by God's grace. Some of us as Christians, we do okay. And we establish peace and justice and love and truth as we rely on the spirit and the means of grace. But all of us are a mixed bag. All of us do some good things and some sinful things. We all have blind spots as a nation. Hey, the Southern Presbyterian Church uh, that I'm a part of hey, upheld slavery. Uh, you go back to the Crusades and many other things. There's some big blind spots here. Uh, but the fruit ultimately is heaven by God's grace. And we have some of that heavenly fruit here on earth as we await Christ's coming. Which leads me then to the next one. What is heaven? Well, for the critical view, the heaven is here on earth, this utopian society. But no form of Marxism of any sort has ever produced this. Okay? And I hope you recognize that fascism and communism come from the same source. It's not right wing and left wing. Fascism is just as Marxist as communism is. It's just a different version of it. So whether you're a national socialist or democratic socialist, right, a Nazi or AOC, hey, it's all the same idea. You want to have this heaven on earth. Now, most of them do not speak of an afterlife or it's not important in some way. But, of course, we believe that Christ will return and establish the new heavens and the new earth. So, in that brief overview, and we certainly could say more, what do we have going on in the church? Well, there are some who basically who have accepted the critical viewpoints, but they sprinkle in some Christianity, some scripture, to make it palatable to themselves and to others. But probably where most of the American church is now is we've syncretized these two worldviews. Some people are beginning to see it. Uh, some people still are blind to it. But it's really no different than Israel. When, when the Bible says they worship Baal, they didn't not worship Yahweh. They combined the two. And so this Baalism and Yahwism were put together. Or if you think after uh, the first century, the combination of the early church of Greek thought and biblical thought. It's a syncretism. And that's really where we are, I think, in, in the American church today, across denominations, that we have syncretized the critical thought, this neo-Marxist thought, with biblical thought. But as I say here in bold, how can you put them together? They're completely contrary to each other. There is no middle ground. We may agree on some things, but it's not because we're coming from the same source of thought and understanding. They're two totally different worldviews. And so it's not CRT and the church, it's CRT or the church. That really needs to be our approach here. So anyway, um, a few things to get us started here. Where do we go from here? Well, we, we can't go forward unless we understand where we've been. We can't go forward unless we see these clear distinctions between the two. 
And as Pastor Jesse said, I, I think some of us here do see that. Hopefully, now after a few hours together, you see it more clearly. And I, I've said this to a number of people. The more I read about it, the more I, I, I'm like, how can anyone not see this? It's so clear. But, you know, a few years ago, I was, I was much more confused than I am now, too. So hopefully, through our brief time together, it's, it's helping you to wade through some of these things. All right. Well, Scott, you had some things you wanted to share in this way, too. So if you want to take over for me, and I'm sure it'll be a lot better, too. So, <laughs> so. Well, as he's getting ready, again, encourage you, think of some questions. I'm sure there are some things we haven't covered yet that you want us to talk about. So we'll, we'll get to that here in a bit, but uh, we'll let Scott come here and, and uh, share with us some more of what he had planned. <laughs> 